Hello, this is Jason Gewertz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry on trends and topics of interest to event organizers, destinations, and sports industry suppliers. Our guest today is Melvin Tennant, the president and CEO of Meet Minneapolis and the executive director of Sports Minneapolis. But before we begin, this podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 20 will be held at the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston, Texas, October 19th through the 22nd, 2020. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink and NGB Best Practices seminars, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Melvin Tennant has led Meet Minneapolis, which serves as the city's convention and visitors bureau, since November 2007. Before coming to the city, he held similar leadership positions at CVBs in San Antonio, Charlotte, and Oakland, California, to name just a few. Uh, During his time in Minneapolis, the city has seen tremendous growth from meetings and conventions, but especially in sports, where the last few years have seen the city host the Super Bowl and the NCAA Final Four, among other major events. Uh, But in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, the Bureau has found itself at the epicenter of a dialogue on issues of race and diversity that have been felt around the country. And it's been particularly challenging for an organization whose job it is to sell the city on being a welcoming place for visitors and for business. Uh, But beyond the day-to-day issues of leading the city's destination marketing efforts, Tenant in recent weeks has raised discussion on other uncomfortable topics, including the lack of diversity at leadership positions across the travel and hospitality industry. Uh, In communicating with city leaders in Minneapolis, as well as potential clients coming to town, uh, Tennant recently authored a letter outlining his own personal experience with systemic racism in the industry and how Meet Minneapolis is helping move the dialogue along at the municipal level. Uh, It was a poignant letter and one that we talk about in some depth in the following discussion. In this conversation, we discuss what life has been like in Minneapolis since the killing of George Floyd, uh, improvements that can be made in hiring practices within the industry, and how sports can help lead the way in recovery, not just on this issue, but on the many economic issues facing destinations as we recover from the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. So without further delay, here is our discussion with Melvin Tennant. Melvin Tennant, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, you know, I reached out to you, uh, Melvin, because I had seen uh, sort of an open letter that you had written recently detailing how your organization has been responding to the events of the last few weeks since the death of George Floyd. And, you know, you also outlined your own experience with racism as a professional in the travel and hospitality industry. And I think it's an important discussion uh, that I'd like to have with you from your perspective of being on the ground in Minneapolis. You know, at the end of your letter, quote, what you wrote, uh, you know, you wrote after the demonstrations have subsided, after the news media has settled back into a regular cycle, and after we get back to our, quote, normal personal and professional lives, the fact remains 
that another unarmed black man is dead at the hands of the police? And where do we go from here? And I think I want to devote this conversation to where we go from here. But let's start with an overview. You're obviously the leader of Meet Minneapolis and Sports Minneapolis. You're tasked with spreading the message of your city, being a welcoming community and a place where people want to visit and do business in. And now uh, the city's found itself, uh, you know, as the center of what's become really a global discussion on systemic racism and police reform. Uh, We've, of course, seen protests and dialogue and in some cases action uh, being taken in cities around the world. But I want to ask you about your your personal experiences in a bit. But let's start with what the past few weeks have been like for you professionally. Melvin, what's it been like as the head of the Convention Bureau and and the city's sports marketing efforts to see all of this unfold in your city here the last couple of weeks? Well, Jason, it's been, it's been extremely difficult to say the least. My, uh, my personal experiences and my professional life have sort of merged together and it's hard to separate the two because initially as, as a black man and seeing a black man whose neck was under the knee of a, of a Minneapolis police officer was difficult to stomach and certainly caused me outrage. The professional side of me acknowledged the fact that it is uh, going to be more difficult for us to reassure our clients and visitors that we are a, a welcoming city, as you, as you pointed out. One of the first things we did, Jason, shortly after the incident took place is that we sent out a letter to our entire database, our, our, our convention and meeting event uh, customers, to our uh, sports rights event holders, to uh, let them know that we were, of course, outraged at what happened, but that we also want to be part of the solution. We, we got back many, many responses to that letter, most of which were, were very positive, saying we, we understand that this is an issue that is not just a Minneapolis issue, and we are appreciative of the fact that you all are, are working hard to resolve these, these uh, long-term issues you've had. But frankly, there were a few customers that were not sure that we were going to be able to, to really get to the, to the bottom of things, so to speak. So we are at a crossroads. We, we know that with regard to the killing of George Floyd, it was a tipping point not just for the Minneapolis community, but for our nation and for our entire world. If you look at all the different protests that have taken place, mm-hmm. we, we need to be a community that, community that is an agent of change. And that's what our community is doing right now, is galvanized, looking for ways to make sure that we don't let this moment pass. Right. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about your, your clients and what you're hearing from them, for sure. Uh, I'm curious, though, Melvin, you mentioned in your most recent letter, you had a, a town hall meeting even with your own staff uh, in the wake of George Floyd's death. What did you hear from your own staff members and, and the impact that all these events were having uh, you know, on, on your local community and on, on them? Jason, we had a range of emotions. We had people who were, of course, outraged, who were saddened people on the call who are in tears. We mostly, though, had people who were ready to step up and determine what can we do to help. We had people on the call saying it is a wake-up call for everyone. Some people said that they're exhausted because we have a number of our people that live 
in the area near the intersection of 38th and Chicago, where the killing took place. It's a it's in a neighborhood, and it's a very very diverse and lively neighborhood. And we have several staff members that live there. But we had one one of our team members that said that she hoped that this is a turning point for us and for the world. And that's where we really focused our attention. We've since established an internal staff task force that is looking for ways not only to get our staff engaged in rebuilding trust, in rebuilding lives, in rebuilding our community, but also our board members who are very, very interested, not just interested, but passionate, extremely passionate in being a part of the solution. In fact, we have one board member who owns several McDonald's restaurants, three of which were in the footprint of the riots. Mm -hmm. And so he has some really firsthand stories of how it impacted him. But staff, board, also we want to involve various community partners because it's not just a Meet Minneapolis issue. It's with our Chamber of Commerce. It's with our downtown council. It's with the it's with the business associations that represent some of the impacted areas. areas. But also, we feel as though it is a, an opportunity for us to engage our customers. Many of our customers over the years have wanted to do service projects when they bring meetings and events here. We right. think this, this is a perfect opportunity to really involve our customers as we come up with, with opportunities for them to give back. And I'm, I'm excited about that. So bottom line is after the, the town hall meeting, our team is energized and ready to get to work because we know if we don't roll up our sleeves and take the initiative to rebuild our community, then we may not have anything to sell in the future. Yeah, well, it, it's so interesting from your perspective, too. I mean, your organization, the entire city identity is is your identity as well. And, and there's obviously so much discussion taking place at the municipal level in your city and cities across the, the country and across the world right now. But in Minneapolis, uh, you've got all kinds of levels of discussion about what reform looks like and what the, you know, the way forward is. What where does the, uh, you know, the convention bureau and, and kind of the, the sports commission fit in? to that civic conversation that's having locally, Melvin. Uh, obviously, I imagine you want and we'll, we'll have a seat at the table for whatever comes next. Well, we are a, a, a business association that does have a seat at the table. As I talked about other organizations like the Downtown Council or the, or the Chamber of Commerce, we have the added benefit of having six city council members who sit on our board as well as the mayor. We actually had a, an executive committee meeting of our board today. And the mayor is an active participant on our board and he was able to speak to us today. Um, so we, we do have opportunities to speak with our elected officials. We, we know that words matter. I know that there have been concerns with the verbiage we've heard that to disband or defund the police department. Uh, I do understand where that, where that passion comes from as a black man, I understand that this is not just the first time, and this is not just the first city where a, a black citizen has been killed while in police custody. So I understand that passion. We, we also have a significant number of, of black leaders who understand that significant reform needs to take place, but are not in favor of defunding or disbanding the police department. So if you really look at what 
both sides, and I wouldn't even call them both sides, Jason. Mm-hmm. If you look at the positions that have been stated, there everybody believes there needs to be wholesale changes. Even the, the mayor, who was not, who was on record not being in favor of defunding the police department, indicated that there needs to be wholesale transformation within the police department. So we know that there also, at some point in time, regardless of what you call it, we will need, as civilized society does need, a uh, public safety component. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm not a public safety expert, but right. we, we want significant change, but we also feel as though public safety uh, in our police department does, does play a vital role in, in how we market our city. Right. Let's go back to your, you brought up some of your clients uh, that you have both uh, on the meetings and convention side and of course on the sports side as well. What have you been hearing from them, Melvin? And are you, how concerned are you just based on uh, all the attention that has been brought the city's way here from all of this? How concerned are you about the, you know, the image of the city moving forward, you know, based on what's happened here the last couple of weeks? It certainly has, has impacted us from the standpoint of, of fielding a few inquiries, but by and large, people understand that the systemic institutional racism that manifested itself here after Mr. Floyd was killed is an issue that has existed not only in Minneapolis, but across this country. We've gotten so many customers wanting to help. A lot of people asking, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And I want to be able to take full advantage of that offer of help. We we do our through our salespeople, have had some individual conversations with customers we're working with who do have some concerns. It's not that really the uh, the image of Minneapolis is at risk. Frankly, what we've heard is several uh, of our customers who are afraid that what they've heard about no police department will really exist. Mm-hmm. So we've had to, to do a little bit of, uh, of message management in that regard. In, uh, in the weeks since that uh, announcement was made by some of our city council members. I want to uh, transition here on the discussion to, uh, you know, the issue of diversity and, and, and systemic racism, even in, in the travel and, and hospitality industry. As an example, I think you mentioned this even in your letter, Melvin, uh, Destinations International has about 600 member destinations and you know, fewer than 10 of the leaders of those organizations are are black, and you know I've not seen the numbers for for sports organizations in the tourism industry, but uh, I suspect they're similar, if not worse. Talk to me a little bit from your perspective about uh, what can be done or or what should be done just to reverse some of those numbers in our industry. Well, thank you for for asking me that question. As with any form or aspect of systemic racism, institutional racism, there has to be an acknowledgement that there is a problem. What we've seen with uh, the aftermath of Mr. Floyd's death is that the industry has taken notice. I'll call your attention to uh, a letter, but it's an open letter to our colleagues in the world from black destination industry leaders. 21 uh, black leaders who wanted to use this moment to really discuss the lack of diversity as far as as uh, black people in the highest levels within the travel industry. 
A lot of it has to do, Jason, with acknowledging that there's a problem, taking responsibility for what your own organization can do to nurture cultural changes as it relates to, to racism. One of the other questions that the letter asks is what steps are you taking to ensure local industry boards, committees, and staff have African-American representation and leadership? Mm-hmm. Are you engaging underserved communities to attract talent of the future? And I'll just focus there for a second. Talent of the future, we can talk all day long about where we are with regard to a lack of blacks in the highest leadership levels in this industry, but it boils down to the pipeline in my view. What does that pipeline look like and how can we make sure that that pipeline is available to all people? We know that in this, in this industry, a lot of the jobs that take place are, those decisions are made with people who know someone and, and all. And, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm certainly a person that has been able to leverage relationships in my career. So I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not faulting that at all. But if you look at the pipeline, if you look at how some young black professionals don't necessarily have access to the same networks, Mm-hmm. as as their white counterparts have, how can we make that pipeline available to everyone? So that that's a, a, a key step that I think needs to take place. Melvin, in your letter that I mentioned at the outset, you outlined a few examples of systemic racism that you've seen even in your own career uh, personally. I wonder if you're comfortable talking about some of those experiences in, in your previous stops uh, in your career. I know you've been in a number of, of major cities um, in the travel and hospitality industry, but can you talk a little bit about some of what you've experienced personally? Surely. The, uh, one of the incidents that I referenced in, in my letter, Jason, was in my, uh, my first CEO job, uh, which was in Oakland, California, a great city. I uh, enjoyed my time there. I recall making the rounds of community leaders and board members to get a lay of the land and to help establish priorities. And one of the, uh, the board members wanted me to know that it would not be a good idea to hire too many black people because it, um, it wouldn't look good. Hmm. And I was, I was taken aback because, A, Oakland is a very diverse city anyway, not just sure. blacks, but a very strong Hispanic population, a very strong Asian population. Uh, it is... To, to use a cliche, very much a melting pot. That's one of the reasons I really love that city. Right. But this particular individual didn't feel that it would be good for me to uh, hire too many black people. Another related situation is uh, back at that time in my, uh, in my life and my career, obviously younger, had more hair. I, uh, <laughs> I had a uh, hairstyle that was somewhat trendy if you, if you will. And uh, some of my team members have gone back and looked at the archives and seen, <laughs> seen some of those, those hairstyles. But he thought that my hairstyle was maybe too black. Uh, mm. I thought that was interesting. And, but I'll also say that I ended up not, not changing my hairstyle. Do those conversations still take place for you to some extent, Melvin, even as, as a CEO and leader of, of your organization now? I would say the conversations are much more more subtle at this point. Um, I haven't in recent years experienced too much overt racism, but it relates to the fact that when you are, when I am in certain settings, be it within 
the destination marketing realm or the sports uh, travel realm or in the general business realm, oftentimes in meetings that I attend, I am the only black person, perhaps even the only person of color that is in the room. And so that speaks to the fact that it's uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the racism is, is built in. And, and this is not to say that everyone is racist, but it's a system that has create, been created over the years that has now allow, allowed uh, the fact that not too many blacks are, have been able to uh, ascend to positions of leadership in either in the travel industry or in the corp- corporate world at, at large. I, I saw a story recently, Jason, where there are only four black CEOs among Fortune 500 companies right now, four. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. Well, and it speaks to what you were talking about before, I think, as well about the need for that pipeline and and you know for career development uh, opportunities at the front end to to allow people to see the success you know that that you've seen on on the other end. You know, it's it's reflected clearly in the numbers. It is, and in, in that in that pipeline, there there's some ways in which we can influence that pipeline. Uh, I'd like to see a a program restarted that Destinations International had several years ago it was called the Apprenticeship Program, where uh, young professionals of color would have the opportunity to spend some time before graduation with the Destination Marketing Organization, with a hotel, and with a convention center or other facility with the guarantee at the end of the apprenticeship that one of those three entities would hire that individual for a full-time job. Uh, several cities did participate in that when the program was up and running. And uh, we actually have a, a huge success story, a young woman who doesn't work for us anymore, but she went through the program, worked with us for a time, and now she works at, works with us at uh, our, our U.S. Bank Stadium. So mm-hmm. it was a great program, and I'd like to see that started up again. That was a, a very successful program for us, and that's an example of influence, influencing the pipeline. Right. Melvin, in the time we have left, I want to uh, talk a little sports with you since I know uh, you're obviously an advocate for sports in your community. Um, and Minneapolis has had such a great track record the last couple of years and some major events. But curious to get your reaction uh, in general kind of on this issue from the sports world. You've seen the NFL and, and NASCAR, to name just two. You know, they seem to be writing new chapters here just in the last couple of days. NASCAR is a series, as you know, with just one black driver at the moment. They just hired uh, their very first vice president of diversity and inclusion. Are you encouraged at all by how swiftly some of these changes seem to be playing out in the sports world from what you've seen? I, I am encouraged, Jason. NASCAR, I, uh, my wife uh, and I, we, we lived in Charlotte, sort of where the uh, epicenter of NASCAR is. Yeah, for sure. She was a huge Jeff Gordon fan. She probably still has a, a Jeff Gordon t-shirt or, or something around. But I would say that I'm encouraged, but in, in another way perplexed because, you know, NASCAR has been around for, for 50 years or so, but this is a great first step um, with, with regard to dealing with, with, uh, with ra- racism and, and other issues. Um, you, you spoke about the, the NFL. I know that the commissioner on behalf of the owners spoke recently about how they felt they uh, did not do the right thing after the uh, the taking the knee incident and the fact that so many players have spoken up and you, you could argue that it was a response to the players, but it did take courage on behalf of the commissioner to, to do that. So I, w- I would applaud that. But in both cases, NFL and with, with NASCAR, 
we uh, are just hopeful that these changes are, are sustainable, that it's not just a, a short-term reaction to uh, what has happened with uh, the, the aftermath of, of George Floyd's uh, killing here in Minneapolis. Let me ask you something about the other uh, pressing issue of the moment, of course, while we're having this discussion, and, and it's been a remarkable last couple of weeks, to say the least, in Minneapolis and elsewhere. Uh, we're also still in the midst, of, of course, of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Melvin, what it's been like in Minneapolis. You guys had some pretty significant events on the calendar that you've lost, as, of course, many other cities have lost. To name just a few, you were, you were going to be hosting the NCAA Wrestling Championship, which was going to be the first one ever held in a football stadium. Uh, you had the Paralympic trials uh, that were scheduled, the X Games course, which has become sort of a signature event for you guys. Uh, what are your thoughts just about what's happened in the sports-related tourism industry here in the last couple months? From the standpoint of, of losing those three major events that you mentioned, Jason, very, very devastating for us, but I, I understand completely that the organizers of those events uh, made the right decision. I have great empathy for our colleagues around the country that lost other NCAA championships, uh, men's and women ba- men, women's basketball, uh, hockey, etc. So we are we are all hopeful that with the NCAA that with the next bidding cycle we'll be able to to try it again. Um, I was excited. I was extremely excited about having wrestling in in US Bank Stadium, and we were tracking ticket sales such that we felt that it would have been a record for collegiate wrestling. Uh, yep. Had we been able to host the event, but uh, we've been able to stay in touch with them, and we feel as though we'll have a good opportunity to try to get another uh, another wrestling championship, Paralympic trials. Uh, again, another exciting event. Just meeting some of those athletes when the announcement was first made last uh, last summer. Uh, I'm I'm devastated that it won't be coming, but I'm excited that we'll be able to to try that one again as well. With X Games, we were we were at the end of our four year term with them. I know that they have plans to do other things, but we've made our friends there in, 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 uh, based in Connecticut know that we are willing and, and, and very able to continue that successful partnership if they gave us the other opportunity. I like the fact that uh, with, with inside U.S. Bank Stadium, it was transformed to really accommodate all the great extreme sports that uh, X Games is known for. And the athletes were able to perform without regard to what's going on outside in the weather, but yet feel as though they were outside because U.S. Bank Stadium has so much glass and allows the the, the light to shine in. So devastating in, in one sense, but also very hopeful that we'll be able to re-engage with all of those great, uh, great event organizers in the future. Yeah. And, and let me close with you kind of on that thought, Melvin. You obviously are in charge of all kinds of different markets that Meet Minneapolis is, is catering to, uh, whether it's traditional meetings and, and conventions. And obviously sports is a big driver for visitation to your city. But what is your what are your thoughts about where sports specifically are fitting into this notion of recovery? I mean, we are seeing events uh, starting to come back, certainly uh, in the sports realm, maybe a little quicker than some of the traditional uh, meetings and conventions, but what are your thoughts about uh, where sports fit into the mix here as we look toward a, a recovery? We've always felt, Jason, that sports transcends so many, so many uh, groups of people, uh, so many age groups. Uh, if you're not an athlete, you're very likely a fan of a particular sport, or some people are not necessarily fans of the sport, but fans of uh, particular uh, notable individuals. So sports does have a role. I was actually speaking with a, a coworker earlier today about whether or not athletes 
should be considered role models. The, uh, I was reflecting back on the commercial of no, a number of years ago where Charles Barkley was indicated on the commercial that he was not a role model. Whether an athlete likes it or not, they are role models and do have influence if you just look at their social media followings. And so uh, sports will be a part of this recovery, not just from uh, getting people back out doing things, but also strong social justice uh, messages. I know there's a, a lot of debate out there as to whether or not athletes should be speaking on social justice issues. Uh, I think there was a Fox News person that was going kind of toe-to-toe with LeBron James on whether or not he should be speaking on social issues. Clearly, athletes should be speaking on social issues. And just going back real quickly to the George Floyd uh, killing, Stephen Jackson, former uh, NBA player, is it was a friend of George. I don't know exactly how they met, but he's been in town a lot speaking to let people know that he's not going to leave until George receives justice, but also being involved in certain rebuilding activities. So, yes, sports and individual athletes have a significant role in restarting our economy. Well, that's probably not a terrible way to tie things back here. You know, Melvin, I appreciate your time, your honesty, uh, your willingness to to chat. I think on everything we've talked about here, there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. But I also think that having these kind of dialogues is hopefully a step in the right direction. You know, I'm sorry that we're not talking under better circumstances, but uh, I look forward to connecting with you again, uh, hopefully in better times uh, across the board and hopefully with progress on all of these fronts in the future. Thank you for the opportunity, Jason. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which also features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewertz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.